Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel podcast, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and also to help them succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, we will be speaking with Marcelo Scambolari, who is the Director of Advanced Technology at John A. Martin Associates and a licensed structural engineer in California. Marcelo is going to talk about BIM and how it's ever-evolving, but also he has an interesting approach or thought process around the roles that engineers and drafters will play during this exciting technological time in the structural engineering industry. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Fasano. I am a licensed professional engineer who practiced as an engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book entitled Engineer Your Own Success and have traveled the world helping engineers build their core or soft skills. My co-host is Matthew Picardo, also a licensed engineer practicing on structural projects in California with an undergraduate degree from Cal Poly Pomona and an MS in structural engineering from UC San Diego. Matt also hosts the YouTube channel Structural Engineering Life through which he promotes the structural engineering profession to engineering students and young professionals that are not familiar with the industry perspective, which is something we should all be trying to do. Now, before we get started, this is a free podcast and our sponsors help us keep it free. So we ask that you please support them. And now I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, CSI. Computers and Structures, Inc. is recognized globally as the pioneering leader in software tools for structural and earthquake engineering. Software from CSI is used by thousands of engineering firms in over 160 countries for the design of major projects. CSI software is backed by more than four decades of research and development, making it the trusted choice of sophisticated design professionals everywhere. Listen up later in the show where I will tell you more about their great software packages and how they can help you. Now I'd like to introduce our guest for this episode, Marcelo Scambolori. Marcelo has worked on many BIM projects over the last 20 years as a project manager, design engineer, and BIM director. Some of the BIM projects Marcelo has worked on include the Walt Disney Concert Hall in Los Angeles, California, the Ray and Maria Stata Technology Center at MIT, Tom Bradley International Terminal Expansion at LAX. I mean, these are big projects. Marcelo is internationally recognized as one of the top BIM leaders and contributors to the education and implementation of BIM technology in the building industry. He continually speaks at Autodesk University and the Revit Technology Conference built, where he has received the first place speaker award for a record 16 times between 2012 and 2019 between both conferences. In addition, Marcelo provides training and consulting in the AEC industry. Marcelo received his bachelor's and master's degrees in civil engineering, and he is also a licensed civil and structural engineer. With that, let's jump right in. All right, now we're excited to welcome on our guest for today's episode. Marcelo Scambolari is the Director of Advanced Technology at John A. Martin and Associates in Los Angeles. He's also a licensed structural engineer in California. Marcelo, welcome to the Structural Engineering Channel podcast. Thank you for having me. Marcelo, we're excited to have you. We know that you do a ton of speaking and training on the subject of BIM, 
all over the place. We see online. Uh, Matt saw you at a conference, which is kind of how we got connected with you. So we're really excited to speak with you. And we know that you know BIM is always a hot topic and, and it's evolving, which you're going to get into a little bit here. But before we even dive into that, can you give a little intro of your own career to our listeners so they have kind of an idea of where you're coming from? I've been in the uh, structural engineering subdiscipline for 21 years now, actually at the same company that you mentioned, John Martin and Associates. I started working there uh, right out of school after I got my master's degree, and I was kind of thrown right into a, a project that we were using BIM, although it wasn't BIM at the time. It was a Walt Disney concert hall in downtown Los Angeles. Back then, we couldn't actually convey all of the geometry on all the plans, so we actually needed to model it in three dimensions, um, the actual structure. That was uh, really early BIM. That was back in 1998. And I spent three years of my life on that project. I started getting good with learning the latest trends in technology and, and more complex geometry. And that's kind of where I stuck. Uh, I stayed a practicing engineer, but along the lines of projects that were more freeform, less rectilinear, um, looking forward ahead with all the technology. And then kind of fast forward about 15 years, I really started looking into what is the latest technology. And I started focusing more on less engineering and more on, on the research and the development of technology in our industry. So that's when I became a, like a, the BIM director, and then I became the director of design technology, and now, now I'm the director of advanced technology. So what I really focus on is, is looking forward and understanding what the latest technology is uh, in our industry, as well as uh, for the AEC industry, as well as for architects, contractors, as well as structural engineering, and then uh, how it can be implemented, and then a big part of what I do also is a lot of outreach. I almost kind of consider myself a, a technical evangelist. As you mentioned, I do a lot of speaking engagements around the world, trying to help our industry, uh, as well as any of the clients that we work with, as well as internally within our company. So uh, it really focuses around looking forward, advanced technology, what are the latest trends, and then how to basically implement it and kind of pull it down to a practical level. Because I present frequently, a lot of the technology I look at, I really try to figure out, could I absorb this and actually teach in the class for an hour? By that kind of philosophy that I have, it helps me break it down into kind of component parts, you know, whatever, however complicated it is, whether it's looking at game engine technology or looking at visual programming or even text coding. So then once I kind of wrap my head around it, then it's a lot easier to explain it to the industry or, or the architects or our clients or whoever we're talking to. You can definitely go on to online and find Marcelo's. Some of his talks are out there online. I, I watched a few of them just getting ready for the interview. And we can go down a lot of different details with BIM in, in whichever way you want to. And we're not going to go crazy on the technical side of it here. And, and we do know that I think most people, Marcelo, in the structural world know what BIM is at this point. But what we really want to focus on with you, because you're so in touch with it, because you speak on it so regularly, we really want to maybe have you speak a little bit about how it is so you know, ever evolving and what that means to structural engineering professionals and kind of how to keep up with that and some of the latest things that are going on. Because we're in the structural subdiscipline, a lot of the things that we do uh, that revolve around BIM are set up either through contractors or architects because we're, we're generally following their lead. A lot of the ever evolving things in our industry is a concentration on the 3D model and less on the 2D documentation and learning how to communicate speaking basically through a 3D model. And you, you kind of hear the term, well, it's in the model. Well, it's in the model. You know, do you have that now? Well, it's in the model. 
it's making sure that that everyone in the company and your structural company can have conversations from a 3D sense, being able to view elements in 3D and being able to kind of think in 3D and be able to move at that fast pace at which things get modeled in 3D and get communicated. I think that's kind of ever-evolving thing in our industry right now, less communication on, on looking at the, the plans and elevations, but more on the, the communication to the 3D model. And then having the language, the right nomenclature so that you can talk through through those kind of things, you know, and talking more in a, in a 3D sense. That's one big thing I see. Another big thing is keeping up with game engine technology has kind of taken over our industry in terms of like visualization as well as animations. So understanding like game engine technology, real-time rendering and visualization is another big part of this ever-evolving BIM that we deal with. So I think kind of keeping up 3D knowledge, 3D jargon, 3D communication and game engine technology. There's another one that's kind of bubbling to the surface now, especially in our structural subdiscipline, which is uh, being able to make customizations with the tools you use. So Dynamo is a very good example. The visual programming language uh, it taps the API of Revit. So you're able to do customizations and learning how to code and be a programmer, having engineers knowing some programming through whether it's text coding or visual programming is extremely helpful because it's a way to kind of extend some of the functionality that you need for using your BIM tools, as well as extracting information and using it other places, like whether you're going to be pushing it into structural analysis or, or whatever. It's also making sure you have that, that communication skill to understand how those tools work, because architects and contractors use it all the time. They'll send you Dynamo scripts, or they'll send you add-ins that you need to implement into your Workflow and so having an understanding of how customization works and some programming is is also a, a good thing to kind of wrap your head around as a company as as BIM evolves. I know that kind of brings up a lot of things and you know kind of what the industry is right now. That I heard you mention in your talk too is that there's you know kind of a split at least in probably most companies that there's the drafter and then there's the engineer. But now with all this ever changing technology, now we can even like put in programmer, especially with like Dynamo scripting and whatnot. I guess, what do you see that role in the future is? Do you think that an engineer is going to need to know like all the tech that you mentioned and keep up to date with uh, the game engines and also with coding and scripting? What do you think uh, that a lot of roles? I have a lot of opinions about that. The class that Matt was in, where we kind of got connected, um, I taught a class at the uh, National Council of Structure Engineers Association the national conference and uh, the class I taught was the present and future roles of drafters and engineers. And I, I turned it into a discussion because there's not really, really one right answer right now. It's more of a snapshot of what the industry was. We had a good conversation in there. A lot of the things we've seen, there is a split where there are designated roles for engineers and designated roles for drafters or BIM technicians or 3D modelers or whatever you want to kind of call that category where they're in charge with the modeling and the documentation. Of course, there's there's hybrids, and then you know, a lot of engineers will do some of the modeling, that sort of thing. But if you ask what I see happening in the future is, first of all, you kind of ask the question, should engineers know that? And, and my answer is absolutely, and this is my opinion, even if your company is of the mindset that there will always be a division where drafters need to do the drafting and the modeling and the documentation and the contract document management and authoring, and the engineers will do the calculations and the structural analysis models and the coordination and so on. What's happening outside of our 
structural subdiscipline with contractors and architects is there's really not a division. Architects will do the modeling, they'll do the documentation. So they already are in that mindset where they use all those tools, they have that knowledge, and in order to communicate with them effectively, in my opinion, an engineer needs to know all of those terms, how they at least work so that coordination can happen on the spot in meetings and if add-ins need to come into the to the structural engineering company that the architect had, then there needs to be some understanding of how it works and within the overall workflow of the project. And so just because of the uh, tradition or the policy of your company is to keep the role split doesn't mean that engineers shouldn't learn this because the other parties we work with in, in the AEC industry will typically only be one person. Those roles aren't split. And so you need to kind of know that in order to have effective communication and effective project. And my views too, I think what you said was uh, communication. I think that's the big part with the architects and the contractors communicating in 3D and in, in BIM. I think it's either the engineer needs to know some of that or basically get uh, the BIM manager or the, the drafter or whatever you call them pretty much heavily involved in those coordination meetings too, because one way or another, if the team's communicating in in BIM language per se, then either the engineer needs to know it or maybe they need to get someone on board to communicate. So it's not like they're saying something and, hey, in this 3D model, we're looking at this and the engineer doesn't know what's going on, then it's bad miscommunication. It's almost like its own language at sometimes. It is its own language. You're right. And I do like what you said. You know, if, if an engineer is not on board with all those terms and don't picture how it works, at least bring someone along who knows what what those are because you don't really get into meeting and they'll be like, you're in a conversation in a meeting and they're like, yes, we use whatever technical term, uh, we use these adaptive components to move things around. And so that things are hosted here and there and this and that, you know, and it's really good to be able to have a conversation with the architect or whoever you're working with that knows all those terms so that you can keep that workflow, keep the communication going and there's no breakdown on that. And plus, if you keep up with the technology and the terms and you're in those meetings, it gives you a lot of street cred for the next project, or it's definitely um, something that could just benefit you in the future anyway. Marcel, I got a couple of points to follow up on that on that I'd like to bounce off of you based on some of the conversations we've been having. I know that, and I guess this is kind of two points and I'll just throw them both at you because they kind of overlap a little bit. But one point based on what you said there is I know that a lot of companies right now are struggling a little bit with trying to find engineers and kind of keep up with the work right now and finding good talent or however you want to phrase it. it seems to be a constant struggle when I talk to firms on a regular basis. And in the sub-discipline of structural, based on what we're talking about here, it sounds like in terms of building the right team for the future, these technologies are really critical. So you have to take that into account when you're hiring. Like for example, maybe, and I don't know this for a fact, I'm throwing this out there, you, you know this better than me, but some, I'm sure some colleges and universities maybe have more of these softwares or programs or innovation built into their curriculum than others. Or some companies, if a graduate came out and worked at one company for a few years and got a kind of extensive training in some of these softwares and technologies, and then, you know, maybe they're relocating or they're trying to find a new job. You know, when you're looking at hiring and bringing in talent, that may be something to, that you really need to consider going forward. And it's something that I think maybe not all firms consider. And on top of that, it's just another point to look at it from the other direction. 
when I was at the ASCE SCI Congress last year, I had interviewed uh, David Koch, who was the president at the time, and asked him a little bit about what he thought some of the threats were to the structural engineering industry. What he said was the biggest threat is these other professions like IT and computer engineering. A lot of engineering students gravitating towards those disciplines other than structural engineering. And to me, based on everything that you've talked about, not just here, but in your talks that I've seen online, there's a lot of exciting stuff here in terms of innovation and technology that maybe, you know, as an industry, we need to do a better job of communicating to maybe younger engineers or engineering students. So any thoughts on those points? It's good you mentioned that. You said that uh, companies should be conscious of, of what type of skill sets engineers have, not just from a technical standpoint, but what other like programming skills or knowledge they have with computers. That's important. Some universities are concentrate that more than others, although I like to flip that around and it goes to basically what you were saying, which is it's an exciting time to be part of our industry more than any other time. And it's like you could use that technology as a draw to bring in engineers. So you have a company that does game engine technology, VR, AR, virtual reality, augmented reality, all these exciting technology things that that would be very interesting for young engineers who would want to gravitate towards computer science or maybe a contracting firm that's using augmented reality, visual programming, and they're going out on the field and doing all this amazing stuff with technology and exciting things. You could bring that technology into your company and use it as a draw to bring in engineers and, you know, basically say, this is fun, exciting stuff and cutting into technology and we want you to be a part of it. One thing we learned in our company was to try to realize the full potential of every employee. So before we'd be like, what are your engineering skills? You know, how good are you with uh, you know, designing beams and columns and putting together drawings and, and talking with, with, with architects and contractors and whatever? But then we started focusing on, well, what are your hobbies? What do you like to do? Well, you know, there was one individual in our company who said, I used to do websites. We're like, great. Would you like to help out with the company website? Yeah, absolutely. What did you used to do? Oh, I used to build mods for computer games. Oh, really? Well, would you like to help build a mod for some of our simulations that we do for our construction animation? Yeah, absolutely. Because our industry has latched on to technology and it's really focused on it, you know, you just can't avoid it. It's an exciting time and you should use that, those exciting things that we have in our industry to help draw on engineers, keep staying, as well as use tap the talents of engineers that you have in your office, as well as look for talent that is out there to help augment your, your structural engineering company. So in our structural engineering company, we have hired computer programmers as well as uh, you know other people who aren't just structural engineers to help with this technology. It's good to be aware when you're hiring engineers to see if they have these kind of skills, but quite honestly, what in my opinion is, is, is structural engineering students, structural engineers are extremely intelligent professionals. And it's not far of a stretch if you get someone interested in something, a structural engineer to be interested in something, that they could learn it and be very good at it. You know, whether it's programming, visual programming, game engine technology, 3D modeling, you know, whatever. That's just kind of been my opinion. It makes a lot of sense, right? So just because someone doesn't have the skill, maybe they're interested in getting the skill. And you could just turn them loose and, and great things happen. They turn them loose. I think that's, they need permission to, hey, you're interested in this? Go do something with it. Go use your skill. Go use your hobby to help benefit your company. I think that's like a, a good point to make there. 
And that was a great answer, Marcelo. There was a lot there for sure. But, you know, I think one of the goals in kind of having you come on the podcast and talk about this is really helping companies, structural engineering companies understand that, you know, they need to think about this technology. They need to be innovative. I actually recently read a book that I, I thought was was interesting. It was called The Influence of Military Strategies to Business by M.D. White. And basically what he was saying was if you look at like the top companies, maybe like in the world over years, there's a number of companies that stay on that list. And then there's a lot more companies that drop off the list. And he was saying that like a lot of these companies that are successful over the long haul are very like innovative and they really adapt well with the technology. So I think in engineering, sometimes we're like a little behind the curve on that. And I think that when you're thinking about your company and the training you're providing to your staff or the committees you're setting up. I did some work with a company that had a great like innovation committee where they were like constantly like looking at new technologies and evaluating like whether or not that firm should like adopt them and how they would like consider like learning about them. So I just think that this is like a, something that if you're, you know, a structural engineer and you're involved with the leadership of your company or you know, you have access to the leadership and you talk to them about these topics, these are things that you really need to think about in terms of your future if you want to be competitive and you want to continue to be one of the top firms, which will help you to get top talent and recruit and retain people. I mean, Matt, you can speak to this too, since you're kind of you know working at a company right now. It's just I think it's really important these days. Yeah, and it's definitely a topic that you know our firms are talking about too. I mean, it's definitely not a hard, solid answer, but it's definitely a you know, it's something that we're thinking about too. And I'm sure a lot of other firms are thinking about on this type of technology. Let's just say somewhat like an engineer is interested in BIM technology. I'm kind of interested into it too. Like what resources do you think is a good way to start? Are there like some forums that they could go to, to just keep in the news with like uh, the BIM community or like an, a magazine or, or whatnot? There are a lot of resources out there to, to understand kind of the latest BIM technology trends. Uh, I mean, each major city has a local like BIM user group, whether it's Revit or, or whatever. That's a good resource. Another good resource, of course, is just to YouTube has a lot of amazing getting started and here's the latest trends sort of thing. Those are great too. And then there's also some subcommittees. Now, SCI has a subcommittee, has a BIM subcommittee as well. You can get um, involved with your local BIM um, subcommittee too. Those are some good resources to get started with. There's a point I want to make about the class I made, which was the, the present and future roles of drafters and engineers. I want to get to the drafters. I just want to make sure we I touched a few points on the drafters as well, because we've kind of been focused on the engineers. I'm just going to ask like one question here, and then we can get back to that. But in terms of practicing engineer out there, Marcel, like Matt, for example, that's practicing structural engineering or working on structural engineering projects on a regular basis, and they're listening to this episode, and they're saying, similar to what Matt just said, I have some knowledge around it, maybe use it or, or a little bit or whatnot, but I want to keep up with it. One of the challenges I think with this topic is that there's like, I don't want to say too much information, but there's a tremendous amount of information out there, whether it's videos, training, conferences, articles, different programs, whatever the case may be. And the question is, is what's a good approach? Like, do you look at your subsection and say, this is what I'm working for? Uh, this is the specific types of projects I'm working on. So I'm going to try to research some information maybe related to BIM on this topic, or should I look at a certain training program? Or I'm just trying to figure out like how can we help the listeners to focus their energy a little bit on this, considering they probably don't have a ton of time to think about it. I have a, probably a good recommendation because you're right. It's like, you know, how far do you look forward? 
right? Do you want to be programming a game where you could be like, you need to go out and take a class on game engine programming, you know, like that sort of thing. I think a good place to start is to look internally within your office and what challenges you may have, what are you struggling with, and try to solve those. I think looking a little bit outside of that, which would be the project team. So what current project are you working on right now? And then, for example, uh, you're working with an architect. What technology are they using? How are they benefiting their office? And how is some of that technology getting used in your project? Are they doing visualization? Are they using visual programming? How are they being more efficient? Are they certain techniques that they model with, that sort of thing? I think that's a good place to start because it's really close at home and you're kind of involved with it every day. You know, like, why is this organization done this way in the architectural model and it's not in mine? It seems more efficient. Okay, maybe I should learn how to do that. It's a good place to start. And it's not a big stretch because you're in it every day. I think that's a great place to start. And then once you kind of absorb what's happening in the technology that's within your project, then you can break out a little further. Okay, what's happening with the next project? Now, of all the things I now know, what's happening in the industry? What, what other things could I be looking at? I would recommend you start there. As we said earlier, you know, Matt saw you speak, which is how we got connected with you. And you spoke a little bit on this idea of engineers and drafters. We want to get back to that as we wrap up here. So you get a chance to maybe talk a little bit about the drafting side of it. The misconception of the class was that a lot of engineers were going to go in there and we were going to talk about the roles of engineers and how it would eventually take over the roles of drafters. I wanted to kind of flip that conversation on its head. And Matt was there, right? Where it was an interesting conversation. And I knew it would be a bit of a heated topic, but it was. I, I started to say, well, if you're going to be tapping the potential of people in your office, well, you have this group of drafters. I don't like to use the term drafter, but you know, we know what we're talking about. The non-engineers who do a lot of the 3D modeling and the documentation management and so on, right? They had this great knowledge of what to do, how to put projects together, how it works, how to model in 3D, how to coordinate. A lot of those skills engineers use as well. So the conversation started to, to head into the area of, well, a lot of engineers, actually most engineers need to build three-dimensional structural analysis model and manage it, whether it's you're linking it directly into your BIM software or whether you're building it from scratch. A lot of the tools to build those are very similar in concept to how you build and create things inside of the BIM software. So the conversation started to head into, well, what if we start to examine using the skills of the drafters to do some of the modeling and opening of the analysis models and creating a lot of things from scratch, laying out grids, things like that. When I brought this concept up to my company, originally I got a lot of resistance, a lot. But then it was as like, don't touch my model, right? was kind of the concept. As BIM evolves and you have two groups, drafters and engineers, they need to start working closer together because they have to, even if you're not linking structural analysis with your BIM model. But it's just kind of the nature of how BIM works. You collaborate more and you're together. So if you're going to collaborate and work together and the engineers are going to start looking into this into the Revit models, then why can't the drafters look into the structural analysis model? Do you see what I'm kind of going with this? It's something just to think about. And uh, I kind of originally got a lot of resistance on this, but then as I kind of brought this topic up about two years ago, uh, I did a, a discussion group at Autodesk University. And then I've kind of talked to a few people after this, and more and more are giving access to the drafters to look at structural analysis models, you know, even if they don't do anything with it. Because I like to give this analogy, as the BIM tools get better, the BIM tools will link with structural analysis better. So if you have a drafter and they're modeling, 
the structure in, say, the Revit model, and then they need to link it with the structural analysis model. What happens right now if you're not giving access to of your drafters to the structural analysis software, like, for example, say, ETABS? They don't have the ability to open it and look at it. Basically, they're throwing that exchange file into a black box that they can't see, they can't quality control their work, anything like that. Then the engineer needs to pick it up and say, well, there's issues here, it's your fault, well, it's your fault. You know, So as there's more integration, there needs to be more thought on what access do drafters have and engineers have. You know, Does drafters get read access or write access to structural analysis models? Do engineers get read access and write access to the BIM 3D stuff? It kind of creates this conversation can start to evolve your company into a more cohesive group as opposed to that's your fault, that's your fault, that's your job, that's your job, that's your model, that's your model. So, so it's just something to kind of think about. And that's kind of the, what the discussion happened. And I had a fun slide at the end, you know, like what are the roles in the future? Are there engineers? Are there drafters? Are there hybrids? You know, so we started talking about where you could be placing engineers, where you could be placing drafters. And once we started to really think about it and the skill sets everybody has, a lot of the talents, and jobs that they had could cross over. You know, you could be using drafters for modeling and structural analysis. You could be using engineers to be modeling in Revit, you know, and, and so on and back and forth. It's kind of a fun conversation to have. It's kind of a hard one to have, but it's something that can spark a conversation and kind of open your eyes about looking forward and, and how these roles will manifest in the future. Yeah, that was uh, definitely one of the, the things that we got out of it, at least when I went to, was asking that question on, yeah, why can't, the drafters, let's say, model the ETABS model or have access to it at least. Because it is kind of like overlapping skills. At first, it's modeling, and then engineers go in and do all the analysis to make sure it's right and make sure it's modeled right. But there's a lot of overlapping skills that just asking that question, it's like, oh, maybe they could help the engineers out and we can have that more collaborative exchange. So I think that was a really good question to ask the firms <laughs> definitely had us uh thinking about oh, great and you know i've talked to can I make one more point i talked to a few firms after i've we've kind of had this conversation and some firms were actually struggling with getting the drafters to allow engineers to get read and write access into revit what happened was in those companies they allowed the drafters to get read and write access into the analytical model so once that happened the drafters said fine you're giving us read and write access to the analytical models we'll give you read and write access to the Revit models. And then it was like, okay, well, now we understand each other. We're giving each other access. We have the trust that you won't be erasing loads and changing sizes in our analytical model. And, like, and we trust you. You won't be you know, doing those kind of things, unresponsible things inside the Revit model. If you kind of think about it conceptually as terms of damage, what damage could you do inside of analytical model? You could do damage, but ultimately what goes to the contractor are the drawings that are manifestations of the plans and elevations of your 3D model from Revit. So there actually could be more damage that could be done inside a, a Revit model, like just right on the surface that, do you know what I mean? There's, not, there's less of a barrier for checks and so on. So there's always kind of that conversation. And if you kind of open up the conversation of, well, everybody gets access, everybody trusts each other, then it's an easier conversation to have. And, and you know, it's an easier kind of way to move into getting everybody to kind of trust each other as well, at least in my opinion. It's a more collaborative approach is what it sounds like you're describing, which, you know, to me, with all this technology and kind of crossover between disciplines and subsections, it sounds definitely like the way to go. And I think you're right. I think when you say drafters and engineers or drafters versus engineers, you know, the original thought is like, 
each one maybe looking to replace the other or something like that. But really, what you've just described here sounds like a, a collaborative, but it sounds like it's working based on the example, or at least you've seen a couple cases of it working, which is great. I have. I like to say the roles of drafters and engineers, not drafters versus engineers, because it's you're like, there's not a competition. It's not you against them. It's us working together to make a great project and, and be successful, make a great project and make money off it, right? ultimately what you want to do. Marcel, that gets back to a kind of a little bit what we talked about before, which maybe is kind of a running theme of this episode, which is those consultants, those engineers, those companies that are kind of open to collaboration, right? And integration of different technologies and collaboration are probably going to set themselves up or, you know, be in a much better position to succeed over the long term than companies that aren't. So we appreciate you spending some time and throwing out some of these thoughts because I think that they are really important to listeners that are thinking about how they're going to build their companies going forward. That's right. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that. Can I make one more point? One just popped in my head. I, I got to think about kind of collaboration. You know, when, when I, another company I talked to was allowing like drafters getting access to engineering models. One company I talked to said, I'm so glad we started doing that because what was happening in the past was an engineer would build, an, uh, say, an ETAPS model, structural analysis model. Then they would print the plans and then they would write physically on plan and mark up every single member that was in the ETAPS model. Well, now they said, based on this collaboration we have, we give access to the drafters to look at our ETABS model. And they're like, well, all the sizes are already in the ETABS model. Why don't you go ahead and pull them out and then model them if you need to model or get them? So, so kind of giving access has, you know, has a lot of benefits and efficiency benefits. Yeah. So I just had to mention that one more thing. I kind of remember that too. Thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. You're doing a great thing. I really like the podcast. I'm glad you're bringing up these topics and having people think about technology and kind of making their company better place to work. Once again, Marcelo Scambolori, he is the Director of Advanced Technology at John A. Martin, an associate in Los Angeles and a licensed structural engineer in California and, and really an expert on these topics. And he's spoken all over. He's win as many speaker awards as he does without you know knowing the topic and be able to speak on it and teach on it. So Marcelo, we're, we're honored to have you here. We're going to keep in touch with you and hopefully in the future, as this technology evolves, we can have you back on the podcast. Okay. I would absolutely love that. Thank you so much for having me. We hope you enjoyed the conversation today with Marcelo. He's a really smart guy, especially related to these topics on BIM and really had some interesting thoughts there on collaboration and how we need to maybe think differently about how you know our team members can help us. And I think it's something that really translates across industries and engineering for sure. Before we wrap up this episode, I have something exciting that I want to share with you about this podcast that's going to be changing very soon. But before I do that, I do want to recognize our sponsor for this episode one more time, CSI. CSI produces five primary software packages SAP 2000, CSI Bridge, eTabs, which you heard us talk about earlier, Safe, and Perform 3D. Each of these programs offers unique capabilities and tools that are tailored to different types of structures and problems, allowing users to find just the right solution for their work. SAP 2000 is intended for use on civil structures such as dams, communication towers, stadiums, industrial plants, and buildings. CSI Bridge offers powerful parametric design of concrete and steel bridges. 
ETABS has been developed specifically for multi-story commercial and residential building structures, such as office towers, apartments, and hospitals. The SAFE system provides an efficient and powerful program for the analysis and design of concrete slabs and foundations with or without post-tensioning. Perform 3D is a highly focused nonlinear tool offering powerful performance-based design capabilities. With CSI products, you can be confident that you have the finest structural engineering software available, backed by a company with an unmatched record of innovation and an unrivaled commitment to meet the ever-evolving needs of the profession. You can learn more about them at www.csiamerica.com. So real quick, before we let you go on this episode for today, we do have some exciting news. We're going to have a new host here on the Structural Engineering Channel podcast starting very soon. This host will be replacing me and I'll still be in the loop here and there, but we thought that it would be best to have two structural engineers that are really deep into the field right now and to you know, really all aspects of the industry. And that's why we're making a change. So I'm going to leave a little bit of suspense. I'm not going to let you know who she is yet. I'll just give you a little bit of a hint there, but we're going to have an episode coming up where Matt and myself will introduce our new host and we'll talk about some of the topics we're going to cover and kind of the structure of the program going forward. It's going to be uh, we're constantly trying to improve it. So, you know, your feedback is always helpful. Again, that's some exciting news. We're going to share more with you on that soon. We're excited to just keep growing this podcast and looking at different topics in the industry that we want to kind of expose, bring light to, and hopefully bring it to you in a way that you can utilize them. Kind of like the episode today where we tried to ask Marcel, how can a structural engineering professional learn about BIM or utilize it effectively? Again, hope you enjoyed the episode. We're always open to feedback, comments, and our questions. You can find all the episodes at structuralengineeringchannel.com. You'll find a specific uh, a summary of each of the specific episodes there, the key points that we've discussed, and any resources that are listed in the episode. And again, continue to give us feedback by going to structuralengineeringchannel.com. We love your feedback. We want to continue to make this podcast the leading podcast for structural engineers in terms of not just technical, but professional advice and thoughts on how you can build your career and build a very successful firm. Until next time, we wish you all the best in your structural engineering endeavors. 